Hi, I'm Nick Batterham, and I'd like to invite you to join me and my psychedelic sidekick, Dr. Gonzo, on a musical exploration here on And This One's Introduced By on community radio station 3CR. Dr. Gonzo, and this one's introduced by is a 60-minute program where we listen to tracks from an album introduced by the artist who made the album. Thanks for listening, and this one's introduced by... In March 2023, I visited the beautiful Roan exhibition, Time, a nostalgic love letter to mid-century Melbourne that had taken over Flinders Street Station's hidden third floor and ballroom. The melodious music perfectly complemented the visual component of the exhibition, which was specifically composed by musician and soundtrack designer Nick Batterham. I remembered him playing in Melbourne bands throughout the 1990s. Nick toured extensively as a guitarist and co-writer with indie rock band The Earthmen, who were signed to Atlantic Records in New York, toured the USA and UK, and signed locally to Warner Music. Their first major label release received an ARIA nomination for Best Debut Album in 1997. From 1999 to 2001, Nick studied film and television at the Victorian College of the Arts. Since then... His compositions and sound design have appeared in numerous films, television programs and commercials. He's created sound design for feature films including Bromley, Light After Dark in 2023, The Plains 2022, All This Mayhem 2014 and Lionel 2009 which was nominated for an AFI award for best sound in a documentary. Last year, Nick launched his sixth solo album, Lovebirds, on Cheer Squad Records, with a live performance at Melbourne Recital Centre, and he's also guitarist with the band Cordrazine, currently producing their third album. Nick Batterham joins Dr Gonzo to present a retrospective of his music on And This One's Introduced By, on Community Radio, 3CR. Well, hi. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um... I'm Nick Batterham, and uh, it's a little daunting to look at my life in a retrospective way or a series of bullet points, but uh, here goes. I come from a musical family. I learned the cello as a kid until the sort of self-discipline of practice didn't agree with me. I discovered the guitar at about 15 and taught myself to play, playing along to songs off the radio. And then early formative years were playing in very noisy bands in the 1990s before going to film school and discovering uh, film music as a thing to do. Over the last few years, uh, I've been writing classical music and creating sound design for the artist Roan, which has brought me back to classical music, uh, which I'm kind of diving into a bit deeper now. In the last little while, I've done a couple of documentary soundtracks and a video game, and I'm always doing the odd television commercial to 
pay for my spiralling studio equipment addiction. Before going back to some early recordings, uh, perhaps we play a couple of more recent songs. This is uh, from my latest album, Lovebirds, uh, released a couple of years ago on Cheer Squad. Uh, this song, 34, was on my first solo album, but I re-recorded it to capture the sound of the band, which is Nick Murray on electric guitar, Ben Wiesner on drums, and Jethro Woodward on bass. This is 34. So I've been self-recording since about the age of 16, since soon after I got my first guitar. Not being able to read or write music, I recorded my ideas on cassette, then on a four-track, which introduced me to the craft of bouncing tracks, overdubbing and mixing. That craft of recording has always been an, like an instrument in itself, 
and as interesting to me as any other part of the creative process. Uh, the sound something makes, or the capture of that sound, informs all the decisions uh, that follow. Um, and the tone of an instrument can direct where the melody then goes. Even now, recording classical music, I've mostly done that uh, myself because the sound that's being made kind of informs everything else. I often record something as I'm writing it, and that becomes the final released recording. And there's good and bad aspects to that. It's the idea of capturing uh, the emotion of something as it's created and the emotions the most true to me. Uh, but then the downside is the ideas don't always get refined or the arrangement isn't refined. Uh, so I'm sort of, I play with those two things as I make my work. This is from the latest Roan show, Time, at Flinders Street Station, and this is called The Stitching Line. Thank you. 
Um, so going going back to the very start, despite trying to learn the cello, I never really got the hang of reading music. I got disenchanted and it wasn't fun, so I blew it off. I regret that now. I still play the cello sometimes to help me writing something, but I just make it sound so nasty. My earliest influences in music, I would say, with my eldest brother, he was into things like ABBA, and I still feel like I write something and go, Gosh, is, is that from The Winner Takes It All? And that's, I feel like ABBA is somehow in my DNA, uh, for better or worse. Amazing melodies in that band. We'd watch Countdown and Rock Arena, and I'd tape American Top 40 off the radio and you'd sort of know it was coming each week and time what you were recording and make a mixtape of that in one of those double cassette players bouncing from A to B and try and get a better version of a song with less talking over the top. Elder brothers come into it a fair bit. My next door neighbours' older brothers were into Midnight Oil, which I think was my first exposure to, I'd call it alternative music, but a world of thought and politics outside my bedroom. I covered my bedroom walls with Midnight Oil lyrics and I, the first things I tried to play on guitar were like the chord progression from US Forces, uh, which once I could play it, I just played that over and over again. School didn't really agree with me, uh, so I spent a fair while on the sidelines um, and became very close to a school buddy, uh, Hamish, and his parents really looked after me. At his house, I was introduced to guitar by him and his dad, who was into bluegrass and flat picking and really encouraged us to play with our fingers uh, and sing harmony. It was always about singing together. Hamish would get the NME or Melody Maker, and that would really shape his taste in music, which... I kind of took on by osmosis and those early influences like The Cure and The Smiths and then The Stone Roses and Ride and The Noisy Things, My Bloody Valentine, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Junior. Uh, very quickly Hamish and my dreams became shared. We just wanted to be rock stars, dressed up like whatever band we worshipped that week. I guess it was 1988 or 89 and we were busking sad indie tunes outside Myers on Beach Street in Frankston. Our first band being a couple of other guys from school, uh, which is what became the band Blindside. We practiced in the drummer Nick Peters, his parents' garage, and learned a lot from his older brother Manu's record collection. Manu worked at Polyester and uh, I think that had a huge impact on actually hearing things. We'd go and listen to these records on their stereo and then go in the garage and go, let's make the song sound more like Dinosaur Junior. Our first gig was in the city at uh, the Sarah Sands and our first solo record, our first recordings were at Simon Ground's house, Simon from uh, Shower Scene from Psycho. Uh, this song, Anvil, is off our third EP. Uh, so with Hamish Cowan, Nick Peters, and now with Matt Sigley on the bass. If you could
Well, perhaps through sheer conviction, uh, Blindside started to get somewhere. We got some nice reviews and some cool supports. We played with the Breeders and Smashing Pumpkins, which I find mind-boggling. We started recording a second album at Metropolis in downtime, which means recording overnight when the studio is not being used. And uh, I perhaps took too many things to keep me awake and got quite sick. Um, I hadn't paid the studio for any of the time that we'd used. Our local label, Summershine, Jason Reynolds, got overseas interest in us uh, from Homestead Records. And we also had an offer locally. And I mean, Homestead are an amazing label, an amazing roster. But the offers we had weren't enough to pay for this studio debt. Um, So we turned them down, which in hindsight is incredibly short-sighted. And every now and again, Hamish reminds me of that. But... Yeah, there was a lot of internal tensions. Um, I was concerned the record wasn't sounding right or good enough and um, I think I had stars in my eyes and lacked any good external guidance. So again, I, I, I walked away from it um, and I look back on that and I, I didn't appreciate what I had with my friends and what that represents. I was so focused on the outcome. Uh, my other band, The Earthmen, were heading overseas, so I put all my eggs in that basket, uh, signed a publishing deal and paid the studio debt and paid my way uh, overseas with The Earthmen. The Earthmen started out as a bit of a garage band or garage rock slacker, lo-fi kind of ethos, a competitive pursuit of noise. It was quite an upward trajectory from the start. I was really young, like 19 but already that was all I wanted to do, was play guitar and make noise. Um, so I flunked out of a graphic design degree and went all in with the Earthmen. Uh, like a lot of young bands, we had a very unstable chemistry and touring is a pressurised environment. Uh, the Earthmen imploded uh, when we were in the States, but the singer Scott Stevens and I continued on as a duo when we got back. Our publisher, Roger, put us uh, on a showcase night in front of some label dudes, uh, a gig at Lay Girls in Sydney, uh, which was very strange. Um, And we subsequently signed to Warners and started making a very hi-fi and expensive album. I spent months in Sydney living my fantasy of recording every day in a big studio and being taken out in the evening. I learned a huge amount about recording and had a very, very good time too. Probably learnt too much about the recording industry. But yeah, the Earthmen got to do a lot of fun things, going on TV and supporting big bands like In Excess, a mad tour of supporting Alanis Morissette, playing to a whole lot of teenage girls. We were in a bubble, sort of us against them, thick as thieves, being in a band, probably codependent uh, drug and alcohol abusers. <laughs> I saw Spinal Tap on telly the other night, and in the credits it says, does playing rock and roll keep you in a state of arrested development? <laughs> and, you know, I think it's more like visiting a national park. Yeah, perhaps uh, there's an absurdity or a hilarity to that rock and roll life, getting to do all these things when you're still on the dole. Um, this, this is uh, what was a big single for us, or perhaps our biggest, that was called Whoever's Been Using This Bed. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, that Earth Men record, the year we were nominated for an ARIA for Best Debut Album, which was 1997, Savage Garden won everything, including our uh, category. And we were seated immediately behind them at the State Theatre in the awards, like in the row, seated directly behind them, which was a bit hard to take, the spotlight television vibe of, uh, hey, yay, Savage Garden. Anyway, our album didn't sell enough. So Warner's rode us pretty hard when we were writing the second album. Uh, and Scott and I wrote so many songs and they kept being rejected by the label. Back then, someone had to pay for you to go into the studio. It wasn't like today where everyone's got some system they can record their demos to an almost professional level. So the songs, they weren't feeling honest anymore and things stopped being fun. Um, managers, publishers lawyers all encouraged me not to shit in my pants to show the world I was angry but I couldn't help it and I quit um, I mean I got to have some amazing experiences and see the world and make these lifelong friendships that were forged in fire and so much happened in such a short space of time I'm still really proud of what we achieved after the Earthmen I went to film school with dreams of being an auteur. Um, but three years of making a few short films a year kind of beat that enthusiasm out of me. Uh, you've got to have almost pathological self-belief to convince other people that your vision is worth them investing their time. With my experience uh, as a recording artist, everyone asked me to do their music or sound stuff on their films and... The sound side of film felt natural to me, so I just followed that path of least resistance. I kept saying yes to things, um, and I haven't really stopped doing that. I met Jethro Woodward at VCA. He was studying composition, um, and we've made music together ever since, along with Nick Murray and Craig Mitchell from that last lineup of The Earthmen. We formed a band. And perhaps as a reaction to all the major label crap, I foolishly called us Strip for Cash, which was always going to be a tough sell. Uh, we recorded an album live in the studio with Jimmy Marudis, um, live in the studio, um, uh, the old-fashioned way of everyone playing at the same time, including singing, and it just raises the stakes and encourages a level of performance that you kind of can't get any other way. And I've been coming back to that more and more, the honest sound of a hard-working band playing together. So this is a track off that Strip for Cash album. This is called Love Won't Desert You. Make time to say 
friend Hamish had done very well with his own band Cordrazine. In the late 2000s we reconnected and I produced Cordrazine's second album. I was also producing Black Chord's first album and my own first solo album about then as well and all of them were engineered or mixed by Adam Rhodes at Sing Sing and I learned a lot from Adam where to put microphones and why things are done the way they are like uh, Adam also did front of house for Angus and Julia Stone and as part of tweaking the PA every night he'd play my song Spiders which um, I think because it's got bass tones that can destroy a speaker um, and this meant that the band had heard that a million times and had been introduced to my music and whenever they needed someone for a tour or something Adam would put me forward as a guitar player which never amounted anything to anything until uh, I got to do a tour with Julia Stone, uh, Europe and Australia tour playing guitar with her. Don't know how to say it. I, I wasn't the best version of myself at the time. I probably didn't give my best or get the most out of it. Uh, but I do have treasured memories from getting to do something like that after so long had passed since touring as the Earthmen. 
Um, had my 40th birthday in Lausanne in Switzerland. Uh, it was one of the best nights of my life. Anyway, I guess my takeaway from that is you kind of don't know where different choices lead you. Uh, I could never have imagined that would be something that I would do, uh, but I'm very glad that I got to do that. So this song, Spiders, is a song that opened a door for me. Originally just a live vocal and piano recording done as I wrote the song, and then my buddy Darcy uh, decided he should put some beats on it, and that inspired us to spend a few late nights in stoner heaven layering the hell out of it. This is Spiders.
Hi, I'm Nick Batterham, and you're listening to And This One's Introduced By, where the artist introduces tracks from their album here on 3CR. Scott Thurling, who's now one of the masterminds behind the Sound As Ever group, Scotty was a big fan of the Earthmen back in the day, and for a couple of years was very persistent in his desire to release an Earthmen retrospective on his label Pop Boomerang. And he ended up releasing my next few solo albums as well. Uh, This next song called Love Is A Dream was from my 2013 album Closing Time at Yaya's. It's changed a bit over the years. I'm lucky enough to have got to sing it at a bunch of weddings. Uh, When friends ask me to sing them down the aisle, I get very anxious. Uh, But I realise what a beautiful thing it is to get to do that at such a moment in their lives with a loved up audience. So yeah, this is Love is a Dream.
going through old demos for the Earthmen retrospective and decided to record new versions of some of the songs I'd written and had rejected back in the day. Uh, And my 2014 Lucky Cat album was the result. This next song was actually a more current song, but it fit with the tone of those sort of power pop songs. This is called Fighter. suffered an unexpected breakup and the shock really messed me up for a while so I wrote a rather bitter album and I find that very hard to listen to now I I appreciate the honesty of the wounded animal Uh, that raw communication of hurt is compelling but it isn't something I need to revisit from 2015 this song is Dead End Another dead end moment we met at 
step you had a candle in the middle of your head a pencil promise not to break my heart you were a liar before the start my efforts to shift and bend now i face another dead end Keep making the same mistake all over again Dead end I keep making the same mistake all over again Dead end I'm learning never can't be taught I wish for you a safer port Are we boats that bump and break? Or do we even each other's wake I keep making the same mistake all over again Dead I keep making the same mistake all over again Dead I keep making the same mistake all over again Making the same mistake all over again I still feel like I was finding my voice as a singer. It never came naturally and I still don't enjoy hearing my voice. Um, the 2018 Golden Boy album was in response to a few years in the emotional wilderness mostly written and recorded in those times. Um, I pulled it together in the early days of sobriety, and so it sounds to me like a self-help book, but at least it's hopeful. This is uh, the not-so-hopeful uh, sounding title, Nothing Lasts.
sick of the sound of myself five solo albums in a row of so much expository lyric writing and singing my bleeding heart out um, I wanted a new creative challenge like writing a book or movie or something um, and that's fortuitously when Roan entered my life uh, he asked me to create the sound design for an upcoming installation in an abandoned mansion in the Dandenongs um, he has this beauty in decay ethos, uh, very melancholic. I made some sketch ideas for him and we played them in the space and one of them featured the piano, which he latched onto and said there was going to be a broken piano in one of the rooms. And that was our light bulb moment. Um, the idea of the sound of a piano coming out of a broken piano um, as a device that's something that we've kind of done ever since um, it was really a sound design job and music in this case classical music became the best solution i wrote a suite of pieces for piano and strings uh, which was my first attempt at doing something like that and the music was spatialized throughout the mansion with the piano coming from one end and the strings from the other with organ and brass in this grand entry hall so that the whole building played as an ensemble and that technique has been central to the work we've done since then. This is called Burnham Beach's Summer from the 2019 Roan Empire soundtrack.
still avoiding my solo songwriting. I, I did a collaboration with my musical hero, Josh Meadows. Josh and his brother Joel are the Steinbecks, and before that, the Sugar Gliders. Uh, their first single, Give Me Some Confidence, was the first seven-inch I ever bought. Um, I had my 21st birthday at the Empress Hotel when uh, the Sugar Gliders had a gig and very drunkenly got on stage with them singing in their encore, which um, I still am sorry for that. Uh, Josh is a tremendous lyricist. He paints elegant word pictures um, and, yeah, he's exquisitely gentle. Um, he'd come to my place one night a week and we'd write a song and my studio is on Bell Street, so we, as songwriter word people, we very unimaginatively called ourselves The Bell Streets. Uh, this is the title track off our 2020 album, Monument. So oh. 
I did an installation at Geelong Gallery with Roan and used some amazing players from the Melbourne Symphony. Um, I was recording my Lovebirds album around the same time and it took on some of those same tones. Uh, it also captures the bond between my now very long time musical companions, Nick and Jethro, the sympathetic way our parts weave together. I mean, I see music now as a vehicle for friendship as much as anything, as well as being my livelihood and sanity. It's brought all this connection in my life. Through COVID, the Lovebirds album launch at the Recital Centre got postponed three times. And on the fourth time, when we finally got to play after a year, it ended up being without two key members of the band because of illness, which really sums up the COVID experience. This song is Lovebirds, title track of the Lovebirds record. Um, and yeah, those strings, uh, Zoe Black, violin, Christopher Moore on viola and uh, maestro David Berlin on cello.
was working on Roan's time project for several years, all through COVID. I had a chance to really refine the music, something in the combination of Roan's art and its context at Flinders Street Station made the music connect with people in a way I haven't experienced before. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. It's been extraordinary. It's funny, after 30 years of singing about my feelings, uh, that the music I'm making now, without my voice or my words, is connecting in this way. Um, so I'll, I'll finish with this. This piece was written for the ballroom at Flinders Street Station. Um, again, features David Berlin on cello, and this is with Michael Bassani on Coronglay. And the ensemble strings of the Budapest Art Orchestra. Thanks again for having me on the show. It's been (laughs) strange and fun. Um, And thanks so much for listening. This is the Flinders Street Waltz.
Thanks for listening to an episode of This One's Introduced By. I'm Dr. Gonzo, and I'll be presenting another artist with another album next time on This One's Introduced By. Catch you next time. Hi, I'm Nick Batterham. Please support Community Radio 3CR. Get involved and find out more on the website at 3cr.org.au.